Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, April 18th, 2022. Well, Resurrection Week has come and gone. And Easter Sunday is now over, and it's Monday, and you're back to work, back to life, back to doing all the normal things. And Easter always brings with it opportunities, right? I think about this being involved in church for for churches. It's the biggest Sunday we see of the year. Uh, You know, we see lots of visitors, and that provides an opportunity. Maybe personally, you had opportunities to share the gospel with people. But when you think about those opportunities, sometimes you feel like the opportunity went well, and you feel like this person heard the gospel. Maybe they even responded, and they accepted the gospel, and they put their faith in Christ. And other times you feel like, well, that opportunity didn't seem like it led to much. And the person didn't seem to respond or even the person rejected everything that I shared with them. Well, no matter what your experience was over the last week, today's passage can be, even though it is shocking in some of the things it says and in how confrontational it is, it provides something that should be an encouragement to us that God is always working and that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So let's look at our New Testament readings today, Matthew 21, 33 through 46, Mark 12, 1 through 12, and Luke 20, 9 through 19. And we're in the Passion Week, in the Gospels, so we're we're starting to near the end of uh, this part of our, our reading through the New Testament chronologically. And what we see today is the parable of the tenants. As Jesus is confronting the religious leaders, he tells this parable. And it says here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. Now, that alone is going to boop like be bringing up some some ringing some bells in the minds of the religious leaders because they're going to hear this stuff about a vineyard and instantly think boom Isaiah 5. They're going to think of another parable that the prophet Isaiah writes of, of a vineyard, where that's clearly referring to the nation of Israel, and that vineyard is going to be destroyed because it did not produce the fruit that its master was looking for. But in this one, it talks about how the master leaves and he goes to get the fruit and he sends them servants and they beat one, they kill another, they stone another. I think it's pretty clear here that these servants represent the prophets who came to tell the people of Israel the truth. And finally, he sends his son. But when the tenants see the son, they say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, um, there is not really much confusion about what this parable is about. And, and the people that heard the parable, they knew exactly who he was talking about. It even says that in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They're the ones that are saying, let's kill the son. Let's take the inheritance for ourselves, right? The people of Israel were meant to belong to Jesus, and they're saying, no, we want them. We want to keep them imprisoned in this false religious system. But Jesus 
Look at what he says as he refers to a prophecy about himself. Have you not read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so you you see there that even though Jesus was rejected by these people, that, that didn't stop him, that didn't stop his plan. And so even as you think about Easter, even if your presentation of the gospel was rejected, guess what? That can't stop Jesus. And even as we think about people responding to the gospel, one thing we need to remember is in the end, they are not going to be the judges of the gospel. In the end, the gospel will be the judge of them, right? The good news that they have heard and rejected will judge them. And that's what you get those that fall on the stone or those that fall on, whether they respond to the gospel just with apathy or whether they just outright reject it, that's not going to go well. And ultimately, the cornerstone is going to be there in the end, even if these people don't listen, even if these people do not respond. And so we see Jesus, the rejection of the religious leaders couldn't stop his mission. The church, now 2,000 years later, is still going strong. And so this cornerstone has become the cornerstone of a house, the house of God, the church that he is building, the church that Jesus Christ promised, I will build, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we head back into another week and, and the excitement of Easter begins to you know, go in the rearview mirror, I hope this fills us with confidence to keep going, to keep serving a Savior who is the cornerstone. And, and the rejection he experienced here cannot stop him. Rejection today cannot stop him either. And I hope that encourages us to press on. Now, we go to the book of Judges today, Judges 11 through 13. And Judges 11 and 12 will tell us more of the story of Jephthah. And Jephthah is, again, something of a sad story. You start to see this cycle with the judges seems to be going downward. And in Jephthah, you're going to see what I would say is a mixture of faith and foolishness. And that's where we want to learn from the faith and we want to reject the foolishness. But it seems that, or what we read is that, again, Israel is in trouble. Um, There's a foreign you know, leader that is dominating them. And in the end of chapter 10, remember, they they had an experience of repentance where they actually put away the foreign gods to serve the Lord. And now Jephthah is the one that was an outcast because he was the son of a prostitute. Yes, they go and they say, hey, we need your help. And so Jephthah goes and he goes to deliver the people. And remember, Jephthah is one of those that is listed in Hebrews 11. Now, why in the world would he be listed in Hebrews 11? And that's where, if you look at Jephthah and this discussion that he has with the king of the Ammonites, uh, he goes back and forth starting in verse 12. You know, he sends messengers to the king of the Ammonites. What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah because Israel on coming up from Egypt took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore it peaceably. 
Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came through, they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. And he goes on and he recounts all of this biblical history. And then he talks about how the Israelites took possession. And in verse 23, he says, So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Basically, he's saying, no, we didn't take it from you. God gave it to us. God has given us this land, and your, you and your God aren't going to take it from us. Ultimately, we see what's driving Jephthah here is something theological. He has faith in God and his promises to them in the land, and that's why he's an example of faith. And that's where we should trust the promises of God and trust no God will give us what he has promised. And even when that might seem difficult, we will trust him. And so they win a victory, but we also then see the foolishness that comes with Jephthah's tragic vow, where he says, hey, whatever comes out of my house, I'm going to offer it as a burnt offering to the Lord. Well, what's the first thing that comes out of Jephthah's house? His daughter. His daughter comes walking out. Now he realizes the foolishness that he has done. And this is one of the issues that Bible scholars will debate until Christ returns and we can ask him. But there's always been this debate. So what did Jephthah do? Did he offer his daughter as a burnt offering? Or did he offer her up then not as a burnt offering, but as as some kind of servant, you know, think of Samuel, how he was given to the Lord. Is that what happened? And you know, so she would never get married. She would always be a virgin, but she would just serve the Lord. And there's so many different takes, so many positions on this issue. I, I lean towards, I think he offered her as a burnt offering. That's what he said he was going to do. And that seems to be the tragedy of why it's so sad. If all he did was offer her to the Lord, why would it be so sad? But again, it's one of those things that's hard to be certain of. Someday we will know, but either way, it is presented, the way it's presented in this passage, as a foolish vow. And that's another thing, you know, we don't need to go make foolish promises or foolish vows to manipulate God to our side. Jephthah already had it right. He was just acting in faith and trusting that God would do what he said he would do. He didn't need to offer some extra side promise to get God to do what God had already said he was going to do. He needed that faith there in the beginning of the chapter without the foolishness of the end of the chapter. And may that be something that encourages us as well. Also, we see Jephthah then in conflict with the Ephraimites. And if you've ever wondered where that term Shibboleth comes from, well, that's right here in uh, Judges chapter 12, and then in chapter 13, we see the story of the birth of Samson, and we don't really see much about Samson in this chapter. We see more about his parents and how they interact even with the angel of the Lord, a physical appearance of God himself, and they are instructed um, you know, how this child is to be raised, how basically he's to be a Nazarite from his uh, birth, 
in no cutting of his hair, no wine or strong drink, nothing unclean, all of those things. And then we'll pick up the story of Samson in our next reading. But that's kind of the lesson there from Judges today, faith and foolishness. May our faith be built up and may we learn from the scriptures and avoid foolishness. And may we press on and serve Christ this week, remembering he's the cornerstone. He's the one that we're trusting in. And whether he's rejected or not right now, in the end, he will still be there standing. He will be the judge and we will keep serving him long after Easter has come and gone on the calendar. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church in Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.